Hello and welcome to Leaving Cert Classics, a student's guide. This is my podcast for your Leaving Cert. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Leaving Certificate Classics, where we are coming to the end of our journey through the epic world of the Odyssey by Homer, where we have witnessed the trials and tribulations of the heroic Odysseus as he attempts to return home to Ithaca after the Trojan War. In the first half of the epic, we explored the challenges posed by the Cyclops Polyphemus, the Enchantress Circe, and the treacherous Sirens. Odysseus has faced the gods, monsters, and the unpredictable forces of the sea. In the latter books, we have seen his son Telemachus navigate the challenges in Ithaca, and his wife Penelope remaining steadfast in her hope for his return. As we delve into books 21 to 24 today, we are entering the final chapters of this epic tale. The threads of faith are converging as Odysseus, after years of wandering, finally reaches the shores of Ithaca. But the challenges are far from over. These books are marked by the climax of the narrative, bringing us face to face with the culmination of Odysseus's journey and the resolution of the conflicts that have defined his odyssey. Along the way, I have tried to highlight the aspects you can focus on and write about in your answers when it comes to an examination, and I will of course continue to do so with these remaining four books. So let's get started. Book 21 begins with the test Penelope promised at the end of Book 19. And she unveils Odysseus's bow and challenges the suitors to string it and shoot an arrow through 12 axes. If they can do this, they will win her hand in marriage. Telemachus attempts but falls short. The suitors then collectively fail in their attempts. Meanwhile, Odysseus has revealed his true identity to Eumaeus and Philoetius by showing them the scar on his foot, making them potential allies in the battle to come. When the bow reaches Eurymachus and nobody has been successful, and Antinous proposes postponing the contest. But Odysseus, still in disguise, steps forward. This prompts scepticism among the suitors. However, Telemachus interviews and orders that Eumaeus give Odysseus the bow and have his turn. Without difficulty, Odysseus strings the bow and flawlessly shoots through all twelve axes, silencing the doubters and potentially revealing his identity if anybody is paying close attention. And this is the end of book 21. It's a short book, but it shows us a lot and also it leads us to a situation Odysseus has a bow in his hand. That's going to be important in a few moments. So in this segment of the Odyssey, heroic qualities shine through. The hero's return is marked by challenges that test his prowess, revealing his strength and also his resilience. The bow symbolizes Odysseus's unique skill, separating him from the ordinary suitors and showing that he's a born leader and also still, despite his considerable age, Remember, it's been 20 years since he left home, so he's at least 40, and in the Greek world, that would have been quite old. 
he is still the strongest amongst them. Heroic society emphasizes honor and superiority, evident in the suitor's reluctance and Antinous's attempt to discredit Theseus. The narrative showcases the hero's triumphant return, blending his strategic prowess, his leadership, and the social dynamics of the importance of heroism in ancient epics. Book 22 follows immediately upon the action of Book 21. Amidst the confusion caused by this disguised Odysseus, this beggar being able to string the bow and shoot the arrow through the axes, Odysseus swiftly shoots a second arrow, this time striking the suitor Antinous in the throat, and he reveals his true identity. Terrified suitors find themselves trapped by locked doors. Eurymachus pleads for mercy, but Odysseus vows that there will be none, and he sends an arrow through his chest. The goatherd, Melanthius, who twice assaulted Odysseus in the days leading up to this, is able to unlock the storeroom where the suitor's weapon had been hidden. He is then captured by Eumaeus and Floetius. A fierce battle ensues, but with Athena's help, it swiftly concludes, and Odysseus wins the day. All the suitors are killed, and in a particularly strong act, the disloyal servant women are executed, but only after they are made clean the blood-stained hall. A particularly visceral portrayal of the retribution of Odysseus's return. So Book 22 of the Odyssey embodies the heroic qualities of ancient epic protagonists and leaders. Odysseus who sometimes is portrayed as a cerebral hero compared to the likes of Achilles from the Iliad, is this time in full battle mode. He displays cunning in setting up the plan, but here we see his prowess of strength and courage. His mastery with the bow symbolizes that he is number one, and his strategic revelation ensures victory. His son Telemachus embodies the generational hero, and he also fights bravely, showcasing his valour. And the suitor's demise serves as a retribution, fitting the heroic narrative structure. Athena's role reflects divine intervention, again, something we've seen many times before, and leadership, as depicted through Odysseus, involves decision-making and justice. And in this case, they have been found guilty. The cleansing of disloyal servants exemplifies the societal consequences of being disloyal. The bloodbath emphasizes retribution and the restoration of order. And overall, Book 22 aligns with the timeless heroism depicted in ancient epics and the societal and narrative dynamics that is important to them. So book 22 sees the big fight scene we've been leading up to, and Odysseus is now back in charge of his palace. But there are still a few elements that need to be wrapped up. First off, the maidservant Eurycleia goes upstairs to talk to Penelope, who has slept through the entire fight. At first she doesn't believe anything that she is told. And when she comes downstairs and sees Odysseus, she still does not believe it to be true. 
Telemachus gives out to her for not greeting her husband more lovingly after a 20-year absence, but Odysseus has other issues. He has just killed all the young noblemen of Ithaca. This puts him in a very difficult position with all the elders, all the wealthy upper-class members of society. He decides that he and his family need to lay low for a while at their farm. Meanwhile, a minstrel, a musician, starts to play a song so the passers-by won't suspect anything untoward has happened. Penelope still isn't sure if she can trust that this man in front of her is Odysseus, and, as we've seen many times with Penelope, she decides to play a trick on him. She orders that Eurycleia moves their bridal bed. The trick here is that their marital bed is immovable. It has been built around the trunk of an olive tree. And when Odysseus hears Penelope ordering this, he flares up with anger and screams that this is not possible. Upon hearing Odysseus recount these details, Penelope knows that he truly is her husband. The couple get reacquainted, and afterwards Odysseus gives his wife a brief account of his wanderings, no doubt omitting a few of the factors along the way. He also tells her that he has one more trip that he must make, one more mini-odyssey to fulfil the prophecy of Tiresias back in Book 11. And the next day, he leaves Ithaca with Telemachus to go to Laertes' orchard. He gives Penelope instructions not to leave her room at any point and do not receive any visitors. And Athena again helps them, cloaking Odysseus and Telemachus in darkness so no one will see them as they walk through the town. So here again we see Odysseus as the leader, as the intelligent plan maker. His strategic thinking is evident as he anticipates the repercussions of his actions. Despite his joyous reunion, Odysseus remains pragmatic, considering the potential distress caused to the parents of the slain suitors. His resilience and adaptability shine as he formulates a plan to safeguard his family by retreating to the farm. We also have the symbolic significance of the immovable bed suggesting the immovable nature of Penelope and Odysseus' marriage. And finally, we have Odysseus and Telemachus receiving help from Athena one more time as she veiled them in darkness to allow for their discreet exit through the town. Our final book, Book 24, begins in an unusual setting. We're in the land of Hades, we're in the underworld, and we see Hermes leading the souls of the suitors into the underworld, crying like bats. We see Agamemnon and Achilles, two of our characters from the Iliad, arguing over who had the better death. They see this huge number of suitors coming in, and they ask how so many noble young men met their death. One of the suitors, Amphimedon, whom Agamemnon knew in life, gives a short account of their demise. He pins most of the blame on Penelope and her indecision. An interesting point to make if you want to discuss how females are portrayed in ancient epic.
Agamemnon refers to Penelope in relation to the treachery of his wife, Clytemnestra, and how she murdered him upon his return from Troy. Meanwhile, back in Ithaca, Odysseus travels to his father's farm. When he sees Laertes, he finds that his father has aged prematurely out of grief for his son and his wife. He doesn't recognize Odysseus, even though he's no longer disguised. And Odysseus doesn't immediately reveal himself, pretending instead that he is someone who once knew Odysseus. But when Laertes begins to cry at the thought of his son, Odysseus throws his arm around his father and kisses him. He proves his identity once again with a very handy scar on his foot and also with memories of the fruit trees that Laertes gave him when he was a young boy. Father and son have lunch together and a man named Dolius, the father of Melanthius and Melantho, joins them. While they're eating, the goddess Rumour flies through the city, spreading news of the massacre that took place. The parents of the suitors hold a meeting at which they decide how to respond. Halitherses, the elder prophet, argues that the suitors got what they deserved for their wickedness for 20 years of being camped in the palace of Penelope. But Eupetes, Antinous's father, encourages that the parents seek revenge upon Odysseus. A small army tracks Odysseus to Laertes' house, but Athena, disguised as mentor, decides to put a stop to the violence. Eupetes, the father of Antinous, is the only one who was killed, struck down by one of Laertes' spears. And in a very unsatisfying end, I'm sorry to say this after 24 books, this story ends with Athena making the Ithacan elders forget about the massacre of their children and recognize Odysseus as the king. And thus, peace is restored. So for a final time for the Odyssey, let's have a look at some of the tropes of ancient epic of heroic society and heroic narratives. We see heroic resilience. We see Odysseus, the hero, exhibiting resilience in the face of challenges. We see a lovely scene of family and loyalty. The emotional reunion between Odysseus and his father Laertes underscores the significance of family bonds. Ancient heroes were not only warriors on epic quests, but also devoted family members. Loyalty to family was a revered virtue in Greek society, and the reunion serves as a poignant reminder of the human side of the hero. We see resolution and restoration. The resolution of conflicts and the restoration of order in Ithaca marks the conclusion of the heroic narrative. Ancient epics frequently featured the restoration of rightful rulers and the re-establishment of social harmony as essential elements. Odysseus's triumph ensures the stability of his kingdom. And once again, we see the very dissatisfying, on this occasion, impact of divine intervention. Athena's recurring role in guiding and protecting Odysseus highlights the divine element in heroic narratives. On this occasion, however, it's a step too far. When she helps Odysseus in battle, when she disguises Odysseus, 
These are all elements that show that fate will win no matter what. However, the divine intervention of wrapping this epic tale up so quickly is just very disappointing. Nevertheless, in summary, Book 24 encapsulates the enduring characteristics of heroes and leaders in ancient epics. We have themes of resilience, leadership, justice, family bonds, divine intervention, and the ultimate resolution of conflicts. These elements contribute to the timeless appeal and the cultural significance of the heroic narrative in ancient literature. And that brings us to the end of this epic journey through the world of the Odyssey. I hope it's helped you with your study and maybe even kept you entertained for a while. Now, for Leaping Certificate, you need to be able to compare Homer's epic, Homer's Odyssey, with Virgil's Aeneid, the story of Aeneas, the Trojan, as he leaves Troy and takes on his own journey his own odyssey to Italy where he will found the city that will become Rome. So Odysseus and Aeneas are contemporaries both travelling through the ancient world at the same time and we're going to see them overlap. That's quite interesting. It's kind of fun. Homer and Virgil, the two writers however, were not contemporaries. But that's a story for our next podcast. So that's where we're going to go next. We're going to begin Virgil's Aeneid, and we're going to compare and contrast Aeneas and Odysseus, Virgil and Homer. So join me next time. For now, I've been Damien O'Brien. This is Leaving Certificate Classics. Thanks for listening.